Hey, good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Good morning, good morning. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church, and so thankful that you would be here with us this morning. I want to give just a couple of announcements before we get in the Word. Uh, first of all, if you are visiting, or if you've been coming now for a couple of weeks, or if you're watching online and you have not had the opportunity to get connected, we want to invite you to do two different things. You can either text to connect, that information will come on the screen. You can text them uh, VICTORY18 to the number 31996, and that will send you a digital connection card. Or as you came in, uh, auditorium host might have given you uh, a, a paper connection card, and so you could fill that out. And if you're here in person, whether you do the text to connect or whether you do the card, right after service, you can go out to our Welcome Center, and you can either turn in that connection card or show them that you did it on over your phone, and they have a special gift for you. And part of that is, first of all, just to say, hey, thank you so much for visiting with us. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on a Sunday. But it's also to try to help you continue to get connected. At the end of every month, we do what we call Growth Track which allows you to learn more about the church and more about yourself. And there's ways that you can get involved through Dream Team. As you came into church today, you were met with incredible, incredible Dream Team, all the way from the doors to dropping off your kids to the hallways to now production and worship. And as we continue to open, as we continue to get back to uh, meeting as a church in person, we really want to encourage you to jump in and start serving because obviously church is still happening. People are still showing up. Uh, kids are still coming. We're still putting on an incredible service. And, and God has put a gift in you that we could use to be able to uh, help people learn about Jesus. And so if you're in here today and you haven't taken that step, I really want to encourage you to do that. Get connected, fill out that connection card, go to Grow Track, join a dream team, and so you can be a part of what God's doing right here in Smyrna through Victory Church. Also, if you're looking for a way to give, uh, so many people give every month faithfully, and we're so thankful for that. We always try to take a moment and share a little bit about what we do with what God has blessed us with. But if you're looking for a way to give, we do it three ways here. You can do it online through our online portal, our website, our app. You can also text to give as well. Uh, and then you can actually just give kind of the old-fashioned way. As you're leaving today, there'll be an auditorium host with a bucket if you want to give cash or check. And, and, and we've done a really good job, I, I feel, of trying to keep everybody updated on all the incredible things that we're a part of. Just a couple of weeks ago, we shared Isaiah 117. Uh, this past week, Darla and I got to go visit a ministry in Colorado City that we're really interested in being partners with that were gifted this um, compound and they've turned it into a dream center for people to be able to come and recover and meet Jesus. Just incredible. We'll tell you more about that uh, in, the, in the coming weeks and months. But one of the things that we're doing for our community really soon, and it's going to kind of play into calendar as well, is a trunk or treat. And so if you remember, yeah, go ahead and give God praise for the trunk or treat. We love candy in this house. Um, the very first year we launched, we did this, and it was really successful. We were really excited about it. And what we did is we asked the, the people of our church to provide the trunk and then the church provided the candy. And so we, we gave all the candy. We just asked you to come and decorate your trunk. And what we did is we, after church on a Sunday, it was during the day, which I had never been to a trunk retreat during the day. So I wondered if that was actually going to be successful or not. But we released the kids, and they were all, some were dressed up, some weren't. And we, we cooked hot dogs, and we gave out food, and the kids got to go through all the trunk. It was a blast, and we loved it. And so Sunday, October 31st, which, as you know, is Halloween, we're going to do this. We're going to do a trunk or treat. It can provide a, uh, a Halloween alternative for those families that are looking for some, or maybe just a fun time to come and invite a friend. And so here's what we're going to be asking for you, is that you would sign up to provide a trunk. So again, we'll provide the candy, we'll provide the hot dogs and all of that, but we're asking that you would provide a trunk. And so you're going to see it on our Facebook. You're going to have all these different opportunities to sign up and say, hey, I'll commit October 31st, right after church. We're trying to keep set up and tear down to minimal. So you just be able to come up, you know, prov uh, provide your trunk and then just be able to bless some kids in our community. Anytime we do an event, this is why I brought this and compared it to giving. Not only are we able to provide the candy through that way, but anytime we do an event, whether it's our Easter carnival or whether it's our fall carnival or whatever it is, we promote it to our entire community we invite them to come, and we don't ask for anything. We don't ask. They don't have to come to church to experience. We hope they do. They don't have to. They certainly don't have to pay to get in, or they don't even have to register to get in. They just come and be able to experience it, get free candy, get loved on, and then, hey, if we don't ever see them again, that's fine, but at least they know that Jesus loves them, and at least they know that there's a church here wanting to help meet their needs. Amen? So it's awesome to be a part of. So I really want to encourage you to do that, be a part of it, and I think it's going to be a great day. Last but not least, calendar-wise, is our small groups. Um, we, we launched what we call our circles before 
COVID hit, and they were going really well in small group concept. We were really excited about them, and then obviously we were closed for about a year, and it was just a crazy experience. And as we're gearing up now, we are so excited to launch this new small group concept. Uh, it's a curriculum called Rooted, and the goal is to take our entire church through it. Um, once you've completed Rooted, you can go into small groups and do whatever you want, but we really like the idea of our entire church going through this curriculum. And it's, it's, it's discipleship, it's generosity, it's prayer, it's serving, it's so many great things. And so here's what we're doing. Starting October, second, third week of October, uh, we are going to launch three groups a week, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And so it's available to you if you say, hey, I don't have the time. I don't know what else we can do, right? We're providing it. We're also providing a Zoom opportunity as well. So there's all kinds of great opportunities for you to be a part of it. And I really want to encourage you. It's a 10-week curriculum. Some nights we'll be doing it every other week. Some nights we'll be doing it every week. So here's what you need to do. I think we still had it available that when you came in, you were given the white card uh, that had to do about Rooted. What I need you to do is to fill that out if you're interested, and then you just mark the night that you are available. You might say, hey, I'm available Tuesday night, or I'm available Tuesday or Thursday. And we have a team that will contact you and explain all of the details, all the locations, get you all the information you need. So right now, I just need to know if you're interested. So if you're interested, you fill out that card, and as you're leaving today, put it in that auditorium bucket, and we'll be able to contact you this week. Amen? It's exciting stuff. We try to do our best here at Victory to, to be able to meet every need that you have. But again, with our vision, Grow God, Give and Go, Guide is our small groups. We want to guide you in discipleship. And then Go is our outreach, things like Trunk or Treat. So we stick to the four G's as a church. All right, if you got your Bibles, you ready for the word? You ready for the word? All right, here we go. Turn to the book of Acts, the book of Acts. Go ahead and turn to chapter 12. While you're turning there, I'll kind of update you. We as a church are studying through the book of Acts. So we read through the book of John. We finished that around Easter, and then we started the book of Acts. We took a break for our At The Movie series. We will take a break at the beginning of November for a special series called The Greatest Adventure, and then we'll finish through the holidays and see what 2022 has in store for us. But in the meantime, we're just taking that chapter by chapter. And last week, I was in Acts 12, and I told you that we were going to be back in Acts 12 today. And the reason for that is because this story that happens in Acts 12 is so phenomenal, and so last week we looked at it from the perspective of Peter, and this week we're going to look at it from the perspective of the church. Last week when I started talking about this, it introduced this idea of having faith and how to have faith when all of the odds are being stacked against us. And I heard so many great comments about that idea and what we talked about. We ended up talking about how you have to focus on what God said, not what, God, or not what you see. And I really encouraged you when you left here to go and find scripture to apply to the very thing that you're trying to have faith in. And I just, I felt like we're in a faith, faith vein as a church. Um, I, I think in this season with all that's happening, you need faith. I think that all the things that you're dealing with on a normal basis, you need faith. I think some of the things that God is doing for us uh, in, the, in the next coming months and year, it, we're going to need faith. And so I just think it's a great time for us to work on building our faith. So I'm going to kind of stay in this vein as long as the book of Acts allows me to. And so let's go to Acts chapter 12. We're going to start reading at verse 11. So we read 1 through 11 last week. And if, let me just give you a really quick reminder. Peter was in prison, but the church was praying earnestly. And then an angel from the Lord came into the prison, met with Peter, and then led Peter out of prison. Okay, so that's what happened, verses 1 through 11. We're going to pick up verse 11. I'll read through it, and then we'll go from there. It says, Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people we're hoping would happen. At one point, Peter said he wasn't sure. He thought he was having a vision. And once he got out of the prison and got about a street down and the angel left him, he was certain that the angel had delivered him. It says, then Peter came to himself and he said, now that I know without a doubt that the Lord has done this, it says, when it dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Again, in the first couple of verses we read last week, it said, though Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying. You remember that? So Peter gets free, and he goes over to the house where they're praying, obviously to let them know, God has answered your prayers. It says, Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda, uh, in case you're looking for a name for an upcoming baby girl, that is available, Rhoda. 
uh, came to, and she answered the door. So Rhoda answers the door, and when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, so excited, that she ran back without even opening it. I love that part. She was so excited about it, she didn't even open the door. She's like, oh, it's Peter, I gotta go say it. And then she exclaimed, she goes back to the people who are praying, she says, hey, Peter is at the door. God has answered our prayer. Stop praying. God has been faithful. Peter's at the door. And they look at her and they say, you are out of your mind. Isn't that awesome? They don't look at her and go, well, praise God. They look at her and go, you're crazy. Oh, ridiculous Rhoda. You know what I mean? I just feel like they gave her a nickname at that point. You're, you're out of your mind, they told her. And then when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must have been his angel. But then Peter kept on knocking. I love this. Peter's just standing at the door. Come on, guys. Come on. And when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. They were surprised. I want to talk to you for a moment this morning from the idea about the marriage between dedication and desperation. That, that, that marriage, that close-knit relationship between dedication and desperation. If you have been at Victory for any amount of time, you've certainly heard me talk about my morning routine. Um, for about six years or so, I have a morning routine where I'll go to the gym, the Y here in Smyrna, and I will walk the, the, the path, the, the, I can't think what track, upstairs, and I'll pray and listen to worship music and different things, and then I'll go down and I'll work out. And I actually started that routine in Memphis before we moved here to plant the church. But I am very passionate about that routine. I need that routine. And so I keep it up no matter where we are. Uh, if we're out of town, you know, if they don't have a track, I'll just get on a treadmill and walk a treadmill if that's available and I'll pray. Sometimes I'll go outside. Darla and I have a vacation with my father and our parents where we go to Florida and I'll walk the beach, which is obviously better than most of my scenarios. Uh, but, but there's a lot, of, even we were just out of town, as I said, in Colorado City. And we were having to get up really, really early to go on these different tours and things. But when we got back to the room, I went to the gym. So I wasn't able to do it in the morning, but right when we got back, I went to that gym that they had there at the hotel, and I did the treadmill prayer, and then I worked out. It was just a routine for me. When we went to vacation uh, into Washington uh, this past, earlier this past year, I kept the routine. When, anytime we've ever gone out of town, I keep the routine. And so I was talking to somebody one time, and, and we were talking about the trip, and I mentioned that I was doing that. And I remember the guy said to me, he said, wow, you're so dedicated Remember say, you're, just, you're so dedicated. And I, in that moment, I didn't really think anything about it, but I kind of laughed and I went, man, I'm not dedicated. I'm desperate. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm not, it's not that I'm super dedicated to having abs or muscles or being fit. Here's the reason. I like food. You know what I mean? I like cookies and M&Ms. And so if I don't go to the gym, I'm going to be really overweight. And you can ask Darla this. There's days that if I don't go to the gym, now all of a sudden I focus on what I eat, right? If I don't go to the gym, I'm like, well, I don't know if I can eat that because I didn't go to the gym. But if I go to the gym, it's this weird thing in my head that says you can have a triple cheeseburger. It's okay because you went to the gym. You know what I mean? So it's not that I'm dedicated. I'm just desperate. And look, me getting up and going and praying every morning, I know that might sound like, you know, you might hear somebody say that and go, wow, they're really spiritual. It's not that I'm spiritual, I'm desperate. Y'all are crazy, do you know that? And I gotta pastor y'all, and so I'm desperate to be in the presence of God. I'm desperate to get a word. It's not so much that I'm dedicated, but I'm desperate. And sometimes being desperate looks like you're dedicated. And watch this, and I really hope you catch this. If you are desperate enough, it leads to dedication. And sometimes you can be dedicated, but when you lose a moment of dedication, desperation brings you back. There's mornings where I cannot wait to get into the gym and work out or to get into the track and pray. And then there's mornings where it's the last thing I want to do, but desperation keeps me going. When I first started reading Acts chapter 12, when you get through those early verses and you get to the point that says that Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying. When you first read that, you think they're dedicated. When you first read it, you picture this room of like 70-year-old grandmas, you know, who are just prayer warriors and like these theologians who are just quoting scripture. You imagine this church that is just so dedicated and 
passionate because even though Peter's in prison, they're praying earnestly. And you're like, man, these people belong in the hall of faith and these people are amazing. But then when you get to see it from a different angle, you start to look at it a different way once again because sometimes what looks like dedication is really desperation. And last week I talked to those of you, or let me say it like this, I talked to the part of you, because I think everybody's included. I talked to the part of you that is trying to keep faith when all of the odds are being stacked against you. And this morning I want to talk to the part of you that thinks this, my faith is underwhelming. My faith is unimpressive. My faith doesn't, you know people and you go, man, I wish I had faith like them. You read stories in the Bible about faith and you go, man, I wish I had that kind of faith. If you were asked personally, you would say, I feel like my faith is not overwhelming. I feel like my faith is ordinary or below ordinary. I feel like I don't have a, I feel like my faith is just underwhelming. I want to speak to that part of you. So let's go back to Acts chapter 12. Let's read this again. Let's get this in our spirit. Peter shows up to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. People in this house are praying earnestly for Peter to be set free from prison, and Peter shows up. God's answered his prayer, and he goes and he knocks at the outer entrance, and the servant, Rhoda, comes and answers the door. She's so excited about God answering this prayer that she doesn't even open the door. She goes back to the people who are praying, and they say, you are out of your mind. Out of your mind. What was so, so, I don't know, I was going to say exciting, but that's not really the word. Uh, what was so encouraging for me is that these people are praying earnestly and are still surprised that God answered their prayer. Did you catch that? They're, they're praying passionately, but they are shocked and astonished that God actually came through. Their prayers were earnest, but watch this, their faith was underwhelming. Did you see that? Their, their prayer is earnest. They're passionate to pray. But if you want to talk about this group of people, their faith is actually underwhelming. If you feel like your faith is underwhelming, you share the same faith that this church did. That's why I believe that their steadfastness, I believe that their ability to stay praying was built more on desperation than it was dedication. Let's just talk about it for a moment. The church is being heavily persecuted in the book of Acts, okay? Heavily persecuted, beyond persecution that we can imagine today. They weren't being called names on Facebook. They were being murdered, okay? So heavily, heavily being persecuted. But now, now their pastors have been arrested. It's one thing to be persecuted and to have a leader in front of you who's going, stand strong, keep the peace, we got this. But when all of a sudden that leader's gone, now they've taken their leaders, and they've gotten news. James is dead. They cut James' head off, and Peter is next. And as soon as this festival goes past, then we know that Herod's going to cut Peter's head off too. So there's just this moment for them of desperation. God, we don't know what to do. We didn't, we didn't know what to do before, but we had leadership. Now we don't have leadership, and we definitely don't know what to do. We're desperate. And I think that there has to be this moment, right, where this church was just kind of like, what's the point of keeping to pray? What, what's the point of keeping on praying? It doesn't make sense to keep praying. I think the biggest enemy of our faith is our desire to make sense of everything. I think that's our biggest problem with our faith, is we want everything to make sense. And when something doesn't make sense, all of a sudden it hurts our faith. But listen to me, desperation will make you ignore what makes sense and do things that you don't normally do. When you're desperate, all of a sudden sense goes out the window, right? When you're desperate, all of a sudden you do things that you wouldn't normally not do. I'll prove it to you. Here's how I can prove it to you. The great toilet paper debacle of 2020. That made no sense to anybody. How could you not have toilet paper for six months? What happened? Well, everybody came in and bought toilet paper. Why? Because they were desperate. 
Dis- You've never used that much toilet paper in your life. But we were desperate, and when we become desperate, we do things that we don't normally do. When we become desperate, sense goes out the window. When all of a sudden you're desperate for food, you do something that doesn't make sense. When you're desperate for money, you do things that don't make sense. Listen to me. When you're desperate to get in shape, you eat kale. Doesn't make any sense. It's it's dumb, let's be honest. But you're so desperate that you do things you wouldn't normally do. I don't think I've ever shared this story with our church, but I'm going to. Um, When I first met Darla, so a lot of you know, Brian introduced me to the church that I got saved at, and then he took me into the youth group, and Darla was singing on the stage, and it was just like an angelic, you know, the, the, and I was like, I'm going to marry that girl, and then I found out that wasn't going to happen, you know, with the certain situations, but I was still infatuated with her. Uh, Darla was, she was a year or so older than me, so when I was in my senior year of high school, you were in your first year of college, am I right about that? She was in Auburn University, and so she was away a lot. But, but I, I really liked her. I, I thought she was beautiful. I, I was really interested in her. And I just happened to be really good friends with some of her good friends. And so I, we were kind of acquaintances. We had talked to each other a little bit, but I was friends with her friends. So she had come back in town one summer, and I'm walking through the hallways of our church. Our church in Memphis had multiple buildings, and I'm walking through one of the hallways, and she is in the lobby of one of the buildings talking to her friends that I'm friends with. So I said, here's my opportunity. I'm just going to walk up and, you know, hey, girl, you know, I'm kind of spit a little game, you know what I'm saying? And so I walked up and got in the conversation, and she's showing a picture to Tracy, her friend. She's showing a picture to him. And I'm like, oh, hey, what's that? And I look, and it's her with two small children. And I was like, who's that? And she goes, oh, these are my kids. And everything in me, like the blood in my body went from my head outside of my toes. I'm like, you have kids? And she's like, yeah. And she said their age and their names. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I think I might have been 20 years old, maybe. I wasn't ready to be a dad. You know what I mean? I, like, that, 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 that was not on my radar for years. Like, that wasn't something I was expecting. But I was so desperate for her. I was like, well, I can make this work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, this wouldn't be that hard. I mean, they're already like, a little bit older. I don't have to go. I don't have to, have to change a diaper. You know, all I got to do is get them a room and, you know, maybe get them some McDonald's every once in a while. So I'm processing all of this. Eventually, I find out she didn't have kids, but she just had, she had an opportunity to lie to me. They were kids she was babysitting. So she was lying to me. But I was so desperate that I was willing to do something that I normally wouldn't do, right? I don't normally adopt kids at 20 years old, but I was going to figure out a way. And here's what I've learned, 37 years old, is that my level of dedication coincides with my level of desperation. Whether or not I'm dedicated to something depends on whether or not I'm desperate for it. Because when I'm desperate, I cross lines I wouldn't normally cross. You know what I mean? When I'm desperate, I take risks I wouldn't normally take. When I'm desperate, I persevere in areas when I would normally quit. When I'm desperate, all of a sudden I'm more dedicated. And I started thinking about this scripturally. And I started thinking about all these faith-filled people in the Bible that we read about who today we would call them faith-filled. We would celebrate their faith. And I was like, were they not, not, you know, don't come at me with this, but but were they faith-filled or were they in a sense of desperation? You know what I mean? Like, Like, were they these dedicated, just, you know, Bible scholars, faith, giant faith type people, or were they just desperate? Started thinking about the widow, when the prophet Elijah, when she, she didn't have anything to eat, and Elijah came and said, you know, you have any food? She said, all I have is this little bit of oil and this little bit of flour, and he said, well, make me something to eat, and she did, and she made him something to eat out of that, which meant that her and her son were going to starve, and she ended up having enough food, and that was a faith-filled moment, but if we really step back, was she just desperate? Well, she just at a point of, if I don't have anything else. I'm going to die anyway, so I mine as well. Started thinking about Naaman, who dipped in the Jordan seven times, where he had leprosy. This man of valor, right, who all of a sudden you see him going back and forth and dipping in this Jordan. And I wondered, how come he didn't quit at the third time? How come at the fifth time he didn't go, I'm an intelligent man and this doesn't make sense? I've dipped five. You should have healed me on five. I'm not dipping another two. Was it because he had this crazy faith? Or let's be honest, was it because he was desperate? Was he just at a place where he needed change so bad that today what looked like dedication was actually desperation? Started thinking about the woman with the issue of blood. 
30 plus years that she's dealt with this, been to every doctor, had every counselor she can find say, there's no hope for you. And she hears about Jesus, and the Bible says that she pushes her way through a crowd. She would have already been someone who would have gotten all of this radical attention. And she pushes herself through this crowd, and she gets to Jesus, and the Bible says all she has the ability to do is to touch the hem of her garment, and Jesus knows it, and she's healed, and we read it, and we preach about her today as a faith-filled woman. Was she full of faith? Or was she just desperate? The blind man who called out to Jesus as Jesus walked by, was he dedicated or was he desperate? The lame man that laid at the pool of Bethesda, that when Jesus came in and said, do you want to be made well? And the man said, of course, then Jesus healed him. Was he dedicated or was he desperate? Now, I'm a firm believer that all of these people became dedicated as a result of desperation. But in a time at first where they would have felt like their faith was underwhelming, where you and I are today, where we really want to believe God for a miracle, but if we were honest, it's difficult because our faith is a little underwhelming. Was it because they are more dedicated than us? Or is it because they were more desperate than us? What if the person that's praying beside you, or let me say, what if the person that's beside you during worship with their hands up and their tears coming down their eyes, what if they're not more dedicated than you? What if they're more desperate than you? What if the person that you know that wakes up every morning to pray and read their Bible and memorize scripture, what if they're not more dedicated than you? What if they're more desperate than you? What if the person who's at church every Sunday, front row to hear the word, they're not more dedicated than you, they're more desperate than you? Do I have any desperate people in the house? You know what I'm talking about? Just looking for some desperate people. Because sometimes the way culture operates, it doesn't allow you to move in faith because it won't make sense. But when you're desperate, you don't care. You know what I mean? I'll never forget, I went out of town. Uh, I've always, you know, tried to be a man of faith when it comes to somebody asking me for money in the streets. I've always tried to believe that God will handle it. It's just my job to give the money, but I don't always do it. Sometimes I fall to fear and doubt, judgment. But I'll never forget one time I went with a friend of mine. I'll try to tell the story quick because it wasn't in my notes. I I went with a friend of mine out of town, and I left my wallet, and he left his too. And so we were coming home, and we did not know it. We ran out of gas, and we had zero opportunity to get gas. And we're about an hour away from Memphis at the times where we lived. And we had to ask people for money. And it was, the, it was the craziest experience because everybody thought we were just trying to run a scheme on them. And nobody, not one person gave us money to be able to. I had to call Darla. Darla had to drive an hour to us to be able to give us gas. But listen, I was doing something that I never do because I was. And I'm just wondering, when it comes to this weird kind of tension between us and having faith, having a miracle concept, faith, having this big faith, what if the difference is not you being dedicated, what if it's you being desperate? Getting to a place where you don't have another choice. You mean you're still praying for that? I don't have another choice. You mean you're still reading that Bible? I don't have another choice. You mean you're still loving that person? I don't have another choice. I'm desperate. And when I become desperate, my desperation turns into dedication, and I stay faithful to God no matter what's happening, and I see change around me, right? Amen. And then people will see you and go, man, they're so dedicated. And you say, no, I'm just desperate. Paul sat down to write a letter to the church of Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. He says this. He says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight. Delight means enjoy, glad for persecutions, glad for difficulties. That goes against my understanding. When would I ever be glad for weakness, glad for insults, glad for hardships, Glad for persecution, glad for difficulties. Were any of you glad that you were restricted in 2020? No. Were any of you glad the church shut down for 10 months? No. Were any of you glad you couldn't go to Target? No. Why would we be glad in difficulties? And here's what he says. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That word weak, when you go to its original context, is the same word that means helpless or impossible. 
So here's what Paul is saying to the church. You ready? Keep the verse up for a second. Listen to this. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. And here's why. Why? Because they make me desperate. And when I am desperate, then I become dedicated. Look, (laughs) y'all got to get this word. This is so good. Because I think the mission to most Christians is you got to find a way to sell out for God. You got to find a way to be holy. You got to find a way to pray and read your Bible. And it's true. But the problem is you go out trying to be something that you're not. And Paul says, listen, just become desperate. And when you become desperate, it'll keep you on your knees. You will pray, watch this, because you're desperate for a move of God. You're worship, you will worship because you're desperate for a view of God. You'll pray and ask people to pray because you're desperate for something to change. And the more desperate you are, your desperation moves into dedication. Listen, what was once, I'll be honest with you, people, it's a pattern for me now. It's an easy pattern for me now to pray. But when I started it, I was desperate. We were going to move and plant a church. We were going to quit a full-time job. We had two little kids. We were going to move to a city that at the time, we didn't even know where. And we had 18 people that were like, we trust you. And I was like, why? And we're going to move and do this. I was desperate because there was no counselor, no pastor, no parent, no leader that was ever going to put faith in me enough to be able to do what God was calling me to do. But my faith was underwhelming. And so I became desperate. And my desperation led me to dedication. And here's, I told the directors this the other day. It's a few things I'm believing God for right now. I've had, I've had moments in my life. The first one was when we decided to plant the church. I shared a little bit about this last week where stuff just started going wrong. You know, our, we had to renovate our house and our water heater went down and some of our team couldn't sell their house. It was just crazy, crazy stuff. And I was desperate. And I was telling our directors that when I was desperate, my prayer life went up. And then in 2020, it was terrible. Talk about that in a little bit. And I became desperate. And my prayer life went up. And right now, we're in a season where I'm believing God for a couple of things, and I'm desperate, and my prayer life's gone up. I, I tell you that because I think this is the way God works with us. I, I think he's trying to get us to understand that, hey, when you're weak, when you are weak, we don't want to be weak. We do everything we can not to be weak. But God says, when you're weak, you're strong. Why? Because when you're weak, you're in my presence. Because when you're weak, you pray more. When you're weak, when you're weak you go to Scripture more. You see what I'm saying? It's okay to be desperate. If you're in here and your issue is you feel like your faith is underwhelming, here's my charge to you. Be desperate. Whatever it is that you're believing God for, become desperate for it. Desperate for it. And here's why we must remain desperate is because our faith is under attack. Your faith and my faith is under attack. Let's go back to Acts 12. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Acts 12, 14, 15, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so what, y'all? Overjoyed. She was so overjoyed. Yes, God did it. God's going to do it. God's faithful so much that she ran back without opening it. She was, you ever opened a Christmas present and you see it about halfway and you know what it is and you're so excited about it that you stop unwrapping the present and you go run to hug your mom and dad? This is what happened. She was so excited about what God had done, she left it without even opening it. And she runs in, Peter's at the door. She runs in, my mom's going to be healed. She runs in, our finances are going to be, you know, set free. She runs, I'm going to, my cousin's going to be safe. She runs in with this incredible faith. And they look at her and they say, you are out of your mind. 
you're crazy, you're stupid, you're silly. Her faith at that moment is under attack. That's a moment for her. What do I do? Because the people that I trust the most are attacking my faith, right? But then there was a phrase in there, I don't know if you saw it, that I had to study a little bit more because I felt like it was probably going to have a little bit more importance. Did you see where they say, it must be his angel? Did you see that? Peter's been delivered, he's at the door, and they say, no, you're crazy. Now, this is so incredible, catch this with me. Out of one side of their mouth, they say, you're crazy. Your faith is crazy. And on the other side of their mouth, they say, it must be his angel. Jews in that day believed that every person had a guardian angel. Some even believed that the guardian angel looked just like the person it was guarding. Guarding. Doesn't that take faith? To, to believe in guardian angels. I know y'all say stuff like that. Oh, I didn't have a wreck. Must have been my guardian angel. But you're not going to put your house on it. You know what I mean? Like you say it because it's cute, but, but you're not going to bet on it. Because it takes what? Faith to believe that. So these people are attacking her faith out of one side of her mouth. You're crazy. And they are talking crazy out of the other side of their mouth. It must be his angel. God wouldn't set him free from prison. Instead, he must have assigned an angel to Peter who looks just like Peter and sent him to our door to fool us. That's wild to me. And here's where I landed on that. Their problem is not their faith. They have plenty of faith. Their problem is where their faith is being placed. Right? They have all of the faith they need. I would almost argue Jesus has set people free from prison multiple times in the New Testament. I would almost argue to you that it takes more faith to believe that there is an identical guardian angel showing up at our house who looks like Peter, that that takes more faith than to believe that God set Peter free from prison. They've got crazy faith, but they're putting it in the wrong place. And then I started thinking about you and I started thinking about me and watch this. You have great faith. Those of you that think your faith is underwhelming, I'm here to let you know, you have great faith. You're just misplacing it. The faith is there. You're putting it in the wrong places. Let me give you an example from my life. One time, Darla was going out to do some shopping. And when she told me what she was doing, in my mind, it would take about, you know, 15, 20 minutes what I didn't know is that Darla had been with the kids all day, so she was going to, uh, you know, have a great time. She was going to walk through Bargain Hunt and look at everything. You know what I mean? She was, you know, whatever that is, she, getting all that out of her. So about two and a half, three hours into it, I send her a text. I'm like, where is she at? Like, Bargain Hunt is five minutes down from our house. She should be back. My, and she doesn't text, right? And when she doesn't text, and then this happens. You know when the little bubbles come up? A little bubble came up. Like she, and then they went away. And I'm like, whoa. And I, here's what I started. I said, oh, somebody's kidnapped her. Somebody has her. She went to try to text to me that, you know, here's my location. And they saw her texting on the phone and they grabbed her. I'm going to have to pull a Liam Neeson, right, and call her and be like, you know, I do not know you. I do not know who you are, but I don't have money. And so I was going to have to figure all this process out. And I, in my mind, she had been kidnapped. She had been killed. It's, our marriage was, I'm going to have to raise these kids by myself. I'm already processing, well, hey, how much can I get for kids if I sell them? Like, I'm already going through all this different, I'm just kidding, guys, settle down. And so I'm, I'm like all over the place. That takes faith. You know what I mean? When your kids cry and you're in the other room, and before you can get to the other room, you've already imagined that they've lost a leg. That takes faith. You have faith. We just keep letting the enemy take it and misplace it. When 2020 came, I'll never forget this. We were at a... Cheddar's, Darla and I were meeting with uh, actually Norman Rich. We were just having lunch together. And I got a phone call from the principal. And the principal let me know that they were going to have to close because of, at the time, 
you know, COVID-19. I think that's what we're calling it. And I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be a couple weeks. About seven months later, we're closed. We're doing online services. I, I can't physically touch you. As much as I want to have small groups and meet together, the concern is that some people are still worried and, you know, that would be negative. And so I don't know which way to turn because I want to be with you. But then there are some people who don't want to be with people because they might get sick. And if I got you together and we got sick, I'd never live with myself. And I'm in the living room. I was with some pastors last night and the the pastor leading the meeting said, every pastor in this season should be awarded uh, a a degree on being a professional counselor in, in, uh, oh, crud, I forgot the word. Um but in just catastrophe, right? In hard times because of what we went through. And I remember there were moments where I was like, the church is done. Church, is, I mean, I literally remember this going like, oh, we're never, you know, it's done. Never gonna open again. I mean, we, we moved here. I'm gonna have to look at all these families that moved here and go, I'm sorry. You know, it's, it's just over, it's over. And it was wild to me that, watch this. The faith that I had in Memphis to say, we're going to move to this place and we're going to raise money and families that I've never met for are going to come and serve and then we're going to reach people for Jesus in a place that I had never been to was the same faith that the devil had used to have me thinking the church is going to close. So I have faith. My problem is not faith and neither is yours. It's where we allow it to be placed. You can believe in guardian angels or you can believe that God would deliver Peter. It's up to you. It's the relationship, hear me, between dedication and desperation that keep us steadfast. But it's the relationship between our imagination and faith that changes our life. Because my imagination is tied to my faith and therefore it's sensitive and if God has it I can believe for God things but if the devil has it I start believing for the worst I can either believe for the best or I can believe for the worst I thought it was interesting that Jesus told his disciples to have faith like a child isn't that interesting to have faith like a child. There's so many verses that wrap around it, but I wanted to show you this message paraphrase real quick in Matthew 18, verse 3. I just thought this was so cool. For an answer, Jesus called over a child. So the disciples said, how do we have faith? And Jesus says, hey, come here, child. Come here, come here. Brings him over. He has him stand in the middle of the room. And he said, I'm telling you once and for all that unless you return to square one, unless you start over like children. And I had a brand new revelation of this verse this week. We all used to have an imagination. Right? There's not a person in here that didn't grab a towel when they were a kid and stick it around their neck and pretend like they could fly. Not a person in here that didn't run around their house with some type of Barbie or action figure or some type of doll. You played house. You you had this wild imagination. And when you look up the definition of an imagination, it's the ability to see something that's unseeable. That's faith. So at some point, watch this. When we were kids, we were allowing God to have our faith. And as a kid, it gets labeled as an imagination because it's good. And then as we got older and life happened, we took that faith away from God and we opened it up to culture and we opened it up to the world and we opened it up to the devil. And all of a sudden that faith that used to be about good things started being about bad things. And now we would actually not move for God because in our mind, all we can think about is all the things that could happen, right? And we're using faith to believe the worst of things instead of the best of things. And when I thought about that, the Lord took me right back to a memory. We were, uh, we were in Memphis during the summer, and we don't have one of these at our house, but in my mother-in-law, my father-in-law's house, they have one of those play kitchens, like a big old play kitchen. And I was actually sitting there putting together a puzzle, 
because when we go to Memphis, I do puzzles. It's just a great thing. It kind of gets me away from reality, and I just kind of have a good time. And my daughter walks up. She has a little, my, my six-year-old, Casey, she has a little pad in her hand. She walks up, and she's like, okay, what would you like to eat? And so I said, I don't know, you know, what do you have? And she starts naming all this stuff. So I write down on the pad what I want to eat, and I give it to her, and I go back to her. And she goes over to the little play area, and she picks up, like, you know, a little plastic hot dog and a little plastic fry and a potato chip and all this kind of stuff. And she brings it over to my table, and she sits it down, and she's like, here you go, Daddy. And I take, because I'm a good dad, I take it, and I pretend to eat it, right? I'm just like, arr, arr, I'm throwing it over here on my shoulder. And then she goes and gets me a fake dessert, and she comes back. And the Lord reminded me of that moment. Now watch this. And when he reminded me of that moment, he reminded me of this moment. When I was a kid, my dad would take me. My dad is a painter. He's a contractor. And he would take me to job sites with him. And I was there all day while he worked. And I was too young to work. But outside, and this is going to get a little strange, but bear with me. Outside of the houses we were working on were trash piles. And I don't mean like trash, but like it might be a pile of dirt and there'd be some trash that was around it, different things. And so what I would do is I would go out there and get, they'd have like a McDonald's fry box that was empty. And I'd get it. And I'd go get little shavings of wood that looked like fries. And I'd stick them in the fry box. And then I would go and find a cup, right, that was an empty cup from McDonald's. And I would go and get some mud water and put it in there. You know, it wasn't sanitary, but bear with me. And I would go and I would set up this whole table. And then when my dad would come out, we'd be ready for lunch, I would have him come over to the McDonald's to order something. Here's what the Lord taught me. When I did that, my dad never looked at me and said, stop it, get in the car, let's go to lunch. When Casey Ray brought me that, I didn't go, get out of my face, I'm working a puzzle. It's all about who you take your faith to. If you take your faith to the wrong person, they kill your imagination. says, give me that. Go get me more. Because he's a good dad. And at some point, church, I'm talking to you. At some point, you had an imagination and you had faith and you believed and somebody came along and they took your faith. I don't know if it was a person. I don't know if it was the enemy, but they took your faith. And you sit in this room today going, ah, my faith is underwhelming. No, your faith is fine. It is full to the top. Monsters, Inc., where you fill it up with the scream, you are fooled up to top with faith. It's just been in the wrong hands. So it's our turn to take back our faith and give it back to the Father who celebrates it and says, man, believe. Yes, ask, seek, knock. We have not because we what? Ask not. Believe. Stand with me, all in this place. Stand with me. I want to pray for you for a moment, but I want to be real specific. I think today provides, keep, keep going, I think today provides a great opportunity for this. Close your eyes for a second because I, I need you to get out of where you are and into your own mind, heart, and spirit. If you have something that you had faith for, but your faith was taken away, something you were believing for, but it didn't make sense, something that you really felt like God told you, But now anybody you talk to says you're out of your mind. Let's take that back. Amen? Let's believe again. I know you've been through some stuff. I know 2020 was hard. I know it's still hard. Do not let the devil take your faith.
God put enough faith in you when you were a child to believe for what you're asking God for? So let's do that. You know what it is. I'm going to ask you right now. I'm going to pray for you, but I'm going to ask you to be specific. You be specific. Father, I come to you right now. And I pray for every person in this building. I pray for every person that's watching online. The Bible talks about how you give good gifts to your children. The desires of our heart, Father, are given by you. And the faith that you instilled. The Bible says you knit us together in our mother's womb. I think when you put us together, you put faith in there. And when we were too young to understand you, that faith became imagination. Because we believed in things we couldn't see. And then we grew up. And the world and culture and the devil took our faith. And they used it in a way that we always saw what couldn't happen. We always saw the worst of something. Killed our imagination. And this morning, Father, let us take it back. For the couple in here that's been believing, but they stopped. It's been a year. It's been a couple of months. Father, I pray they believe again. For the parents that used to believe but they stopped. I pray they'd believe again. For the minister that's in this room that used to believe, I pray they'd believe again. For the child, for the student, the man, the woman, I pray they'd believe again. Father, right now, do what only you can do. Do what your Holy Spirit can do. In an amazing, amazing way. Come on, redirect it right now, just in your own words. Just say, Father, I want my faith back. I want my faith back. I want to believe in what you promised me. I want to believe in what you told me. And then make us desperate for it, God. Now that we believe in it, make us desperate for it. That we pray every morning, pray every night, pursue you, pursue your word until we see it come to pass. I'm desperate for it, Lord. I have the faith. I just need the desperation. Hallelujah.